0: You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with acting executive director Michael Brooks, chief engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. But I got to start off about this Ferrari story. Well, I I think you need to warn the listeners that it's, you know, it, it is truly a tragic story there's sensitive information in there and, and people might want to make sure that there are no children in the room before they listen to this story. I,
1: I think you just said it best there. So, I mean, everybody, you know, brace yourselves. This is, uh, you know, uh, take a moment, you know, gather yourself, your thoughts with your, the God of your choosing. Um, because Ferrari had to recall over 23,000 vehicles Um and you know the poor Ferrari owners uh, we feel so bad for them um it's because they uh the, the problem is with their brake fluid reservoir cap uh it's designed to vent pressure and apparently it hasn't been and it causes brake fru- fluid releases uh, leakage and it's causing their brakes to fail um and and this of course this recall started as all good recalls start with a class action lawsuit. Where this guy was driving home and he got a warning on his car. And this is the best warning I've ever heard in my life. Uh, On his dash, it says, brake fluid low, drive to dealer slowly. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very specific warning. There's so many questions I have there. Like, I've never owned a Ferrari, I've seen them, but like, to brake fluid, it's not complex like but i guess you have to go to a ferrari dealership to get special brake fluid either way this guy drives home in first gear 10 miles per hour trying to stop in his driveway uh, the brakes don't work and his ferrari rolls off into a pond um because that's what the I'd say the end of most people's driveway is some you know architectural pond uh so what what <laughs>
0: What, what what happened here? Well, first of all, you need to understand that Ferraris use uh, brake fluid that's based on olive oil. So there's all kinds of all kinds of biological considerations for Ferraris that you don't have in other cars. And you also need to understand that this is a consequence of the nanny state, you know, that the, the expectation that the government's going to take care of everything, because when I was a kid, when you were a kid, if you had leaky brakes, you just pumped them. What's wrong with that? You just pump the brakes until the pressure builds up. Then it can slow down. And, I, I, you know, it's it's a consequence of the nanny state that people don't have any expectation that their brakes might fail and might leak. And you'd have to fill them up with brake fluid from time to time. I don't know what's wrong with the world. <laughs> you know, we're, we're really going to hell in a handbasket here. I think we need a sarcasm font for the
2: podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't know what you put in your (laughs) coffee this morning, Fred, but you're on fire. (laughs) Too much tea. Pearl gray. Ah, it's the British. Strong stuff. Strong stuff. Yeah. So uh, Ferrari says, okay, bring, we're going to, we're going to, so they found out about this a year ago or or roughly a year ago, and uh, they're going to start notifying owners next month of when they can come into the dealer to have a new brake fluid vent cap put on. And a software update. Maybe the software update will say, break fluid low, <laughs> visit your dealer, and buy a, another Ferrari. Who knows?
2: Well, it, it does, really. It says, pull the car. It, 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 it goes even further. Instead of saying to um, drive to your dealer slowly, the new software um, will tell you to pull over immediately and have the vehicle towed. So you don't even have the limp home option there or limp to dealer option. <laughs> A Ferrari's
1: dash display must be amazing because mine just has those silly little icons and you can see they're embedded in there and they'll turn on and off where Ferrari, they're sending full messages to people. Uh, it's unbelievable.
0: Well, of course, they are in Italian, so, you know, it's only a subset that's actually going to be able to understand the messages.
1: That's an excellent point. And it's, you know, it's, it's not sung to you in an operatic voice. See, that would be a benefit.
0: Tenor or is it going to go with the bass? I'm not sure.
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know. Okay, enough of this nonsense. Let's let's get into a, a real story and talk about the black boxes in cars, the event data recorders. Um, now, I, like most people, you've heard of these, obviously, in airplanes. Um, we know that every commercial airplane has a black box in it, which is surprisingly not black in color. Um, and, and we hear about them after an event, and they, oh, we're searching for the black box, we're searching for the black box, and then we found it. And so apparently um, from information Michael sent around that most cars have these black boxes inside them. Uh, But as usual, there's no requirement to have them, but there's requirements of if you have them, what data needs to be recorded and you don't have access to your own data. And maybe some people do their own things with the data. So please, Michael, fill us us in.
2: So. The event data recorders, I guess there's, um, you know, they're, they're. I've always thought of them in many, as a black box as well, but when you look into it, basically they're they're a piece of memory, flash memory, I believe, that's embedded in the vehicle's occupant control restraints that system. So it's a little box that basically all the airbag and seatbelt pretensioner and those feeds go into that tracks a lot of vehicle data. And at certain events, um, we pull some of that data about, you know, I think it's around 20, 16 different crash data elements um, into this flash memory that can be then downloaded um, using a tool depending on who your manufacturer is. So um, that's, basically what the edr is it's basically just a uh, a very it's a very um limited memory system that's capturing you know a few moments worth of events over a period of weeks and i don't think it can store much more than that so after a few weeks pass the old memory is gone and replaced with the new data so it's basically a a basically the equivalent of a, a usb stick that's tracking specific points um, like your change in velocity, airbag deployments, and and very specific things about a crash um, to help crash investigators piece together um, velocity breaks and some of of the major components of traditional crashes.
0: Yeah, and and as Michael said, it just records a limited amount of data. Many of them don't go back weeks. There's no there's no requirement that they have to record data over a long period of time. So some of them will only overwrite, will continuously overwrite data in the memory and only keep, will say perhaps a minute of information in the, uh, in the flash memory. And basically, that, since there is no requirement, this is driven by the market and that there's only a couple of companies that make these components. And whatever the companies think is appropriate for the components becomes the de facto standard. So uh, could be a lot better. And you know, that Michael already correctly said, of course, that the nineteen some odd components that are included in the required database, if you have an EDR, again, you don't need to have one. Porsches don't have one, if I remember right. It's one of the one of the few brands that has elected to not have a data recorder in it. But um, this list of data elements was basically developed around the end of the last century. So, you know, it's all the best engineering thoughts of the previous century that are in this, and I'm sure it has the best of intention, but there is no data in there that is a product of the best thinking of this current century which would include a lot more data components that are associated with modern cars and the level two assist driving assistance systems that we've all got. And, you know, all of those kinds of things that can and should contribute to crash investigations, but they're simply neglected in the required data components.
1: So this is a weird feature in cars. Like, so who, uh, who started adding this first since there's, it doesn't sound like it was the government pushing for this. Um, you know,
2: it, it was in many ways. I think the the NTSB um, started pushing NHTSA in the '90s to start tracking some basic crash data on on uh, vehicle crashes because they their investigators were having trouble piecing together what was um, actually occurring in the vehicles before the crash, and they were used to um, investigating aircraft incidents where they had that information so um, compared to what you have uh, data wise on aircraft in the black box you know the EDR is incredibly limited um, it's nothing really like that but it does and it has been very useful for crash investigators I don't want that to get lost in this discussion I mean having that information is super critical um, in a lot of respects to people that are researching the safety, people that are involved in litigation. Um, and to manufacturers who are trying to connect the dots on issues with their vehicles. So it can be super helpful. Um, but what Thread is pointing out and what we are trying to point out generally is that, you know, we have an opportunity here to collect crash data and send it to safety authorities and other folks almost immediately now. Um, NHTSA has traditionally relied on, you know, the fatality analysis reporting system to get information on crashes from states and that involves police reports and a lot of, you know, state police reports are all over the map as far as what information they contain, getting them up to speed is very difficult, getting the states to report to NHTSA on time is very difficult. About half the states have a digital system. Some are still relying on paper or older software. So there's a lot of problems getting that data to the um, engineers and the researchers at NHTSA so they can help improve vehicles. Um, and we think that, you know, uh, the EDR is kind of a dinosaur. Um, it's, you know, it's time has come and there need to be, you know, vastly expanded number of crash data elements that are being collected on the type of crashes that are occurring today. Um, EDR right now, and they're currently trying to in- expand this Uh, EDR right now collects, you know, milliseconds worth of data right around the crash pulse. But you also have some very important events that occur coming up to that point. Um, and they're events that need, that we need to know about now that crash avoidance systems have become prevalent in the market because we need to see if that those systems are working. Um, and, you know, the government needs more data on crashes. We have a giant, um, problem with the rise in fatalities on our roads the last few years and it doesn't appear to be stopping and the one of the only things that's going to help in in assisting you know finding the problems is good crash data Um, and that's something that you know NHTSA has struggled producing over the years and that we've we've struggled to get because a lot of crash data is held private by stakes and crash reports Uh, VIN numbers are redacted so There's a ton of issues and, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really important for, for vehicles to start, you know, collecting good data, transmitting that data to the folks who need it to make sure that cars are safe and that our transportation network is safe. Um, and as we see things like vehicle to vehicle communications and vehicle to infrastructure occurring, we're going to need to be observing where the problems are, are happening and crash data is, is, the best way to do that.
1: So if, if I'm involved in a crash and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to make the claim that, Hey, my car failed for some reason, and my car records all of this data. Um, and my understanding, since it's, I have a Toyota that records a lot more than just the the 16 data points that are required. If you have this system in place, who, who owns that data? How do I get access to that data? I figure it's my car, my data.
0: Well, oh,
2: that's, that's typically correct. I mean, it is your car, it is your data. I mean, accessing that data can be very difficult depending on, you know, um, what type of car you have. Um, I think around 80% of the market that has EDRs installed uses a Bosch reader that's available for a fairly inexpensive price. And it's something that a hobbyist or, you know, uh someone who who is into working on their vehicle or evaluating you know there there are people that like to do these type of things i'm not one of them but they can plug in and download their data and see what's been going on those aren't that's possible um it's not that cheap um then tesla and um mercedes and toyota and some other manufacturers have been developing Data recording systems for many, many functions in the vehicle, but it allows, for instance, in Tesla's case, it allows them to basically upload, you know, they're using AI machine learning, supposedly, to help upgrade their software. So they're constantly taking inputs from all the Teslas on the road, beaming them up into their cloud and evaluating that data for issues, which sounds like a a great approach to fleet safety. Um, although, you know, obviously there's some outstanding questions and maybe about Tesla overall, but, you know, that's the type of system, you know, the, the data that Tesla is gathering and the way they're storing it and the instantaneous part of that is something that that I'm actually excited about. I mean, I think it would be great if we had that across the board. I mean, can you imagine having video and audio and camera of every crash that occurs in America and you could learn so much about a lot of the causes and how to address
1: them. You'd learn so many new curse words and obscenities. Yeah, and-
2: that's that's where the privacy stuff comes in. <laughs> well, well, that that's that, I guess that's kind
1: of the next question is, um, is is this the nanny state listening in on my my vehicle? I mean, is Toyota listening to me sing poorly with with whatever music I'm listening to and and curse at drivers in New Jersey?
2: Well. A lot depends on what you allow um, the manufacturer to look at. I mean, a lot of this is like a phone where you're clicking through your app permissions and telling who can see what and who cannot. I mean, you can prevent your data from being looked at routinely by the manufacturer. I'm sure there are protections built in, for instance, to the Tesla system that prevent some inputs from being uploaded to their cloud. Um, but, Ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of problems here because states have different rules regarding how that data can be accessed. Um, you know, crash investigators can typically get access in states with a court order. But um, most states tend to fall on the side of that data is the consumer's data. And there needs to be um, some sort of compelling reason for that data to be released. Um, and. I don't know. To us, it's somewhat overkill. I mean, to me particularly, because you're talking about actions that we're taking on a public road in most cases. I mean, these are places where we don't really have a great expectation of privacy. And usually the people who are trying to prevent release of their EDR data um, are probably not doing so to protect their privacy, but prevent them from going to jail or from being sued. So I, you know, I have a lot of questions about, you know, who we're really protecting here um, and are, are we, are could we, we're already, Americans already seem to be very comfortable with big corporations knowing where they are, what they're doing, listening to their conversations. And yet people seem to freak out at the idea that my vehicle's data is going to be um, provided to a government safety engineer who's trying to make me and my family safe. Um so I, I, there's a lot
0: of this conversation things
2: here that, 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 that I think we need to reckon with um, on the privacy side of
0: things. Well, let me jump in for a second here and just say that I sincerely admire Michael's optimism in thinking that there are some safeguards against corporations listening into your bed singing. Um, optimism is a great feature to have in life, but then let me go full nerd on you. For a little bit, and just say that in the in the, I once worked at a company that was in the business of counterfeiting radios, and uh, they were basically taking a Japanese design, taking it apart and rebuilding it, and putting their own label on it, and selling it to the DoD. In the process, they were working in a spectrum that was shared by the cellular uh, companies at the time, which were working on analog cellular devices. This is back in the old days, boys and girls, so it's not like this anymore, but just for fun, they would tune in on conversations of cars that were driving by the the building and uh, listen to the private conversations, and I suggested that. was probably a bad idea, but uh, I didn't win the day, but anyway, that's not where I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about the uh, accident investigations for military equipment like if you have a missile test that fails, the first thing that you do as part of the failure investigation is you lock down the configuration of every component that was involved in the test. You know what the software is, you know what the hardware is, you know what version of software was being used, and then you go in and do a detailed analysis to find out what the root cause was for the investigation. In order to do that in CARS, now, you need to have much more information than is required for uh, a compliant EDR. For example, a couple of years ago, Tesla was marked down by Consumer Reports because the brakes didn't work as well as Consumer Reports had hoped. Overnight, virtually overnight, Tesla came up with a software fix, sent it out to all of their cars, and uh, they were downloaded and sold in the cars then the cars worked much better, consumer reports upgraded the uh, review and everybody was happy. The problem is if you did an accident investigation associated with those cars after the fact, there was no way of knowing whether or not that car had in fact gotten the software upgrade. And with the reporting system Michael talked about, the failure analysis or recording system, I can't remember exactly what the acronym is, But that only sends data back from fatal accidents and it only sends it back after a couple of months at a minimum because of the paper heritage and the way the data system has evolved. So we're in a system now where you can get software upgrades that changes to critical, safety critical software virtually overnight without any controls or records being sent to the government or any checks on whether or not these upgrades should actually be made the effects of those software upgrades or those changes will not be recorded in any data system for several months after the after the fact. So there's no way of getting rapid feedback on whether or not these uncontrolled software changes are actually impacting the safety of the vehicle or making it less safe. So when Michael talks about the need to get quicker responses and the need to get... Um, Better feedback that's really coupled to the modern ability, it was not anticipated in the 1990s when these standards were put up, of getting these rapid over the year updates and, and other changes to safety-critical components that were simply not around when these requirements were originally made. Um,
1: a couple of things. First of all, Fred, I'm really looking forward to your new podcast called Counterfeit Radio. <laughs> um But I'm confused on why there's this month long delay in the in in the recording or reporting of this information. I mean, just from a from a software engineering point of view, you do you apply a patch, you apply software update, you're you're having that that's being noted of like, hey, this is version you know 00.13, and you can have a reference to what was changed in there. So uh unless I misheard you, it sounded like okay, so Tesla, for example, they throw this over-the-air update, which I think sounds great on one level from a software engineering point of view. I think that sounds like uh, a bit of a rush without any testing, but that's a different topic. Um, but you were just uh,
2: saying. The is the, um, yeah. That's the FARS fatality analysis uh, reporting system that NITS and runs that runs through the States and through the police crash reports. So the delay there is that we won't, you don't get, you don't know, what has you know this this software update could be applied overnight and then you have no idea if it is you know caused fatalities or not until it's not even two months it's more like a year later um, because the data is delayed until the end of the next year plus a few months before it's actually reported and then it's not even finalized until you know 18 months two years after that
0: so wh- why is the data delayed it's because human beings involved in a system that was developed based on paper to record the data so when a police officer investigates an accident the officer has a checklist a paper checklist that they go through and they check off the various items and and fill in the blanks that checklist goes to their supervisor or their you know police department whatever it is and then it eventually gets sent up after being collated and and checked and whatever the process is, gets sent up to a state office where they collect all of these things. And then some human being sits down and transcribes these paper information into a computer database that then has to be checked and then et cetera, et cetera. And so the wheels turn very slowly and eventually it ends up being sent to the government through an electronic system but it's all based upon the collection of data and accumulation of these paper records or equivalent paper records. Maybe it's on an iPad somewhere that have to be accumulated and sent up. So the ideal system that we're hypothesizing that Michael's got in his head would take the flash drive out of a car that's involved in an accident or a collision. And by the way, not just fatal accidents, but For example, any accident that requires hospitalization of somebody, a much larger database, would take the data chip out and, as you would expect, can just plug it into a slot in their computer and the wheels will turn and the computer will automatically suck the data off of that flash drive, send it up to a central point where it can be collated and rapidly accessed along with the critical information that identifies the vehicle, the hardware version, the software version, yada, yada, yada. But that's an aspirational wish that we've got and nowhere close to the reality of how the system actually works now.
1: Okay. So, right now, I I have to reiterate this just because it's so insane to me. So, the event data recorders right now, they record information digitally. That is removed from one computer inside the car to another computer. Then somehow it gets put on paper and then no, somebody that's just copies it in
2: that's No. He's, that's That's a fatality analysis reporting system that he described. And that's what we have right now to rely on as data behind accidents that happen in the United States or crashes that happen in the United States. Um, the EDR stuff is, you know, it's what we've talked about. You own it. They don't pull EDR into FARS. Oh, oh so they
0: don't use that data at all. No. but, again, but there, there's two groups that will use that data one is the national transportation safety board they get involved in certain collisions and there's also an engineering group within the the uh, NHTSA critical special crash investigation special crash investigation that could pull the data from that and use it for a detailed crash investigation typically that information is not used at all it's there but it's not used at all it can be accessed But it's not involved in the checklist that the typical police officer uses to uh, record data from the crash. Do
1: the manufacturers at least use that information? So, like, I gave the example of the the small fender bender that happened to my car. The next time I bring it into Toyota, I mean, I assume they can download this telemetrics data and realize, hey, our automatic emergency braking system sucks. Or download it, it
2: to tell you that you've been in a crash and you're responsible for whatever the problem is in your car at that moment. Um, oh, that's Geico's problem. That You know, there are... I think it depends on the state. There are certain states that allow, you know, access to your EDR data um, for maintenance and repair, but I, it's not universal. Um, you do have to grant access to the manufacturer for them to hold um, your EDR information in A lot of, in a lot of states, so... Once again, there's a you know, it's there there are differences depending on where you are.
1: Okay, so walk me through the 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 solution you want what you're calling the advanced EDR. So, so let's let's get that.
2: The advanced EDRs right now there are manufacturers, you know, beyond the simple EDR and the few data elements collected. Uh, manufacturers, you know, Toyota has a separate system that records a lot more inputs than the EDR would record um, and even camera inputs and um, things like that. Tesla um, makes reports available to owners. You can download your EDR report and it's got, you know, hundreds of data elements and um, it's far more informative than what we would see from the traditionally EDR when it comes to crashes or, um, you know, any event, even, even if you, you didn't have a crash and you were wondering, Hey, why did my vehicle have this hesitation at X time and date? You can go into the data and see it. So it, it is, it's an incredible data source for, for owners who are interested in that type of thing. Um, and so we know all of this data is out there and being collected and at the same time, we know how helpful it could be in achieving, you know, a lot of the safety goals we see particularly at a time when we've got a lot of fatalities occurring and they don't seem to be slowing down. So, you know, our philosophy is why not use this data? Um, And, you know, you know, people may not be aware, but there, you know, there are a lot of systems in their vehicle that are already kind of, doing this um, automatic crash notification by definition is tracking you by gps where you are so that it can notify emergency responders to come locate you uh, to help save your life Um, so this is you know giving away certain bits of data um, to the government can be awesome um, and 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 super beneficial and you know some of the objections around not Submitting a lot of this data to people who are concerned about the overall transportation safety ecosystem um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me when you see what's being tracked on our phones already, how our cars are already being tracked um, with data that we're not even aware of. I mean, did you know your Toyota is taking
0: pictures (laughs) and preserving them in its data?
1: Pictures of what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Further to what Michael (laughs) said A lot of this data is already being sent wirelessly, continuously as you operate your vehicle to the manufacturer. So there's there's a tremendous amount of data that's in the cloud and you'll see manufacturers claim certain performance capabilities, Tesla in particular, certain performance capabilities and, and safety claims associated with the number of miles driven versus number of collisions. and This is all derived from their continuous monitoring of the data that's being developed on the cars and transmitted wirelessly to them more or less, I hate to use the term real time, but more or less continuously as you operate the vehicle. So in our ideal system, we would tap into this data stream or somebody would tap into this data stream and extract the information that is helpful to determine safety trends extract the crash information that happens uh, in advance of the crash and also after crash, because the disposition of a lot of cars after the crash uh, is critical to safety. For example, some cars burst into flames hours or days after a collision actually happens, and sometimes after they've been towed to a, a junkyard. This is all information that would be very useful to the designers and the people who analyze safety. Um, unless you're not concerned about cars bursting into flames long after the collision, but many of us are. So where's
1: the the pushback on this? I mean, obviously, I, there are serious privacy implications around some of this stuff. And yes, I, I think most reasonable people realize that it's not the COVID, COVID vaccine that's tracking you with a microchip, but it's your cell phone that you use to search for, hey, is the COVID vaccine tracking me? um so but there there are legitimate privacy concerns around here i mean we don't want is is the government watching you no they're probably not you're not that interesting but if like if i want to run a mobile meth lab in my rv i mean i want to turn this stuff off or for whatever reason i wanna i want to opt out of this system if you offered people that ability to opt out and i think very few people would because If I'm in an accident, yeah, I don't want to be, I I probably can't think straight. I I would just love for, you know, emergency responders to show up. That's a great benefit to me. Um, Whereas my Toyota, what is it taking pictures of? There's no cameras inside my car.
2: It may not be in your model, but there are, you know, Toyota has camera software in their vehicles. It's part of, um, it's part of, they have this, uh, kind of an enhanced data system that allows them to collect information on um, crashes. And we saw an upload from it and it had photos, frontal photos. I believe it has because it has cameras that it uses in some of its ADAS. Yeah, it's functions. got a, a front
1: facing camera and it's got the rear facing
2: camera. So they were there were they, were, um, they captured uh, portions of that video as images in the, in the um, output. So, there are
0: also some cars that have cameras that monitor the driver because one of the techniques for um, establishing that you still are paying attention to your driving is to monitor your eyes. And for example, the super cruise system on GM cars will uh, give you a warning if your eyes are not direct towards the highway for a certain number of seconds. I'm not sure exactly what that is. But the, the cameras continuously monitor your face and your eye motion as part of the safety system. So, yeah, there are issues associated with anonymizing the data. And there are data that you probably wouldn't want to get into the public domain. Um, like who's sitting next to you in the car, for example. There but, no cameras you know, in my car. You these see are, are issues that could be addressed in the context of establishing a much more comprehensive data system rather than saying, well, we don't want a more comprehensive data system because something bad might happen with the data.
2: Right, and what we have seen is that automakers are all too happy to highlight the big privacy concerns because ultimately the less data that's reported means they spend a lot less on these systems. So they have an incentive to support privacy objections to this type of data being transmitted to the government.
1: But Tesla, Toyota, and Mercedes, you're saying they collect a ton of data anyway.
2: Well, they they can do that, um, you know, depending on what you'll let them collect, but they're going to collect whatever they can in those systems because they're using it. You know, I know Mercedes and Tesla are, they're using data from vehicles on the road. To further develop their crash avoidance system so and, and and it's necessary that they do that we believe i mean that's that's it, if you're putting out a fleet of vehicles where you're constantly going to be updating and changing the software you damn well better be monitoring the performance of those vehicles um on a daily basis after you put this software in i mean Microsoft does that on my computer, I'm pretty sure. And, and, you know, a lot of, a a lot of other uh, software programs do that type of thing where they do system monitoring. And here, basically, as Fred alluded to earlier, they're popping new software on the vehicle. And it would seem that, that, you know, if I was putting new software on a vehicle, I'd want to know if it was working immediately out there. Um, And it's, it, It seems like a necessary thing to have that type of of check.
0: Sure, if you're going to change safety critical parameters overnight, the demo will better be monitoring what the effect of those safety critical parameters is having on the real world operation of the vehicle. Um, None of these vehicles though, none of these manufacturers provide notification to any of the users about uh, what data is being sent or how often it's being sent how it's being retained or how it's being used—it's just all happening in the background now without any disclosure requirements.
1: And that's probably where the trust and the, the paranoia leaps in—is because no one's exposed to what's being tracked. But granted, at the same time, Google knows everywhere I drive because I their map software is better than what's in my car.
2: Right. I mean, it's just, it's, there's just such a vast, weird—you know—that's that, that, the weird part. Of this people are so willing, and I, I'm willing to let someone see where I am, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I use wave, I use Uber. There's a lot of apps on your phone where they know where you are. And, you know, some of them have permission to use your microphone and other functions on your phone. And we're just willy nilly clicking buttons saying, Hey, you can have this. But then for some reason, when our car wants to take information about our driving habits or our vehicles performance and ship it to the government instead of the manufacturer, we have this, strong reaction as though we're being subject to some kind of you know search under the fourth amendment and that type of thing that i i I, some of that is overblown and i think some of that has to do with the fact that manufacturers have in the past used those arguments to um fight against requirements like edr becoming permanent rulemakings and regulations and you know so far they've succeeded because even though they're in 99.5 percent of new vehicles manufacturers could stop putting them into every car made tomorrow and there would be no penalty because Mitz is that never actually required them
1: so the pushback right now has been the man- auto manufacturers themselves
2: yeah and it, 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 you know they they push back against almost anything that that adds a couple of bucks to price um, whether it's you know stronger seats to prevent parents from you know hitting their children while they're in the back seat when the seats collapse to you know things like frontal cameras that could probably save 50 or 60 children's lives and a lot more injuries per year. There's just all sorts of little safety devices that we think could probably be deployed at, you know, not that great of expense, or you could share the expense with your customer base and save a lot of lives. But, you know, there's, it takes a long time to develop these things and money and it's added money headache. And, you know, it adds a lot to the process. You know, we already have 30 to 50,000 parts in every car. So it, I get it. It's complex, but we think there are some simple safety things that could happen and, and making EDR better is certainly one of them um that can be done without an incredible expense, especially with EDR since A lot of folks are already collecting this information. And the only missing link is transmitting that information to um, federal safety authorities um, for research, uh, rulemaking, and enforcement purposes.
1: So is there any sort of push legislatively or or whatnot to to make this enhancement? Because I know what you're saying is that the auto manufacturers pushed back. I mean, they pushed back against seatbelts. They pushed back against airbags. and.
2: Well, legislatively, we, there have been a few studies that have been authorized on the EDR system, but there have not been any mandates issued that were, you know, required NHTSA to update the system to 2020, um, much less 20, 2005. So um, that's something. And that's, you know, that's a. Nowadays, we typically see things go through Congress every four years in a large transportation bill and we wouldn't see something like a uh, narrow edr provision ever make it through congress um so it's it's the the ultimately i think you know nits is going to have to and i think nits is already realizing this is that they need a lot better a lot more data um on adas on crash avoidance on any potential self-driving or autonomous vehicles that might be out there um, and they signaled that with their standing general order to collect to require all these automakers to submit data when they're aware of a crash, um, which is something they hadn't done before. And it's data that's supposed to come in within 24 hours and you know is ultimately submitted to the public or put out for public review, although they've been a little slow getting out their recent monthly update. So get on that, NHTSA. Um but it's you know, there's a lot of things we think is in this area that can be done at relatively low expense, um, particularly when manufacturers are already collecting all this data that will allow federal investigators to do their jobs better and to help save more lives.
0: But there are a lot of things that can be done to improve the process at zero cost to the manufacturers. If they can simply speed up the flow of information from the uh, crashes and collisions, and, and including both fatal and non-fatal accidents, to the investigators, uh, that would be enormously valuable, even if they don't expand the scope of the data that they're collecting. They are currently considering expanding the scope of the data, but you know, they're they're 20 years behind the times. Your iPhone is probably two years old. Well, no, I can see you. your, your iPhone's probably older than that. But, um, but the point is, you know, the software, which is now the heart of the operating system, of every new vehicle is updated very rapidly uh, and constantly. And so there's no reason why systems that are already in place for uh, updating software and getting feedback from those software um, updates and changes can't be applied to something as critical as safety information to be collected from cars that are in use today and the data is available the software is available. Um, why not expand in that direction laterally as well as uh, vertically? You know, faster would be better and better would be better. So why not go both ways?
1: Yeah. yeah. Listener, um, you know, listener, go to autosafety.org slash podcast. Let us know what you think. I'm really curious to see what other people think about this, if there's anything that, you know, we haven't thought about or discussed. And, and and I'm curious really to find out how the general public thinks of that. And with that in mind, we have listener feedback. Ready? We've got listener question. And of course, it comes in just as a giant garbage trucks outside my window. Um, so this is a question from, uh, I'm not going to share their name, but we'll say his, uh, his name is Michael, because that's his first name. Which states permit the sale of cars that have been in floods or crashes without disclosure on the title? And I know you have this information on the top of your head. I think we're going to advance.
2: The the states that we see are most likely to actually have title branding for floods are some of the Gulf states, Um, you know, Louisiana, Texas, I believe Florida, and Sure, Alabama, but some of those states, plus some of the states that were hit by Hurricane Sandy, I believe New Jersey, a lot of the states that have been impacted by hurricanes, strangely, are the ones that have some of the strongest provisions requiring title branding on um, flooded cars. Um, So this is it's it's an issue. There's there's this. National Motor Vehicle Title Information System that um, most of the states now subscribe to that's that where a lot of the information on salvage titles is collected. And one of the major issues with it, like we were just talking about with FARS and states, is that the state rules for what is salvage title and how things are branded are literally all over the map. Um there's no consistency whatsoever. And so a vehicle that was, that was, you know, title or, or salvaged in Indiana, um, that could be a total loss there can be rebuilt and given a new title. If you move it to Georgia and put back on the market as though nothing happened. So there's a lot of sleazy stuff that goes on because state laws aren't consistent. And, um, there's a, you know, this is an area where I think the federal government could get a lot more involved to just bring some consistency to the rules, so that we don't see, you know, folks taking advantage of um, disparities between state laws to get bad vehicles that that probably aren't safe back on the road, um, and it's a consumer nightmare. Um, I mean, when you see states that typically aren't just Awesome consumer-friendly states like Texas and Louisiana putting this stuff on the books, then you know there's a problem.
1: So, uh, listener, your advice would be: don't buy a used car from any of the Gulf states, any of the states in the Southeast, yeah, no, the Mid Atlantic, New England.
2: Buy from those states because they would have the title. Brand.
1: Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, only buy from the Gulf states, the Southeast, <laughs> the Mid Atlantic, the n- New England. Uh, avoid other states that don't think they have hurricanes and/or flooding problems. Fair enough.
2: That's close.
1: <laughs> All right, good, good enough. Thank you, listener Michael, um, and anyone else, please, especially around uh, the the event data recorders, the black boxes in your car. I'm I'm very curious to see are are people at home wrapping their heads in tin foil. Um, or are they okay with this? And maybe, you know, again, there's legitimate reasons why you wouldn't want to share this stuff. I mean, I'm going to go scope the inside of my car and look for hidden cameras.
0: Hey, you know, before we close, I want to correct a misapprehension I may have left behind. I said that the Ferrari brake fluid was based on olive oil. I've done a little research in the meantime. It's actually red wine. So just wanted to clarify
1: uh, as somebody whose first and last name ends in a vowel, I am not offended. All
2: right. Let's not get into what Fiat means.
1: <laughs> we we know it means fix it again, Tony. Please. We we understand. Ah, uh, but they're cool looking cars. So again, you know, we we weep for the poor Ferrari owners, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm jealous that your car says <laughs> get towed. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Uh, Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Fred. Thank you, listeners.
0: For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.